So, I am so thrilled to be back. Uh, I was in London, me and everyone were in London last weekend. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about that in a second. But I want to welcome you. If you're new, my name's Tom. Uh, I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church plant as the lead pastor on eldership with Herrick Berga, who is just the, a gift from the Lord. Um, but yeah, would love to introduce myself to you, get to know you personally, hear your story. You can hear ours. We really believe the church is a family, okay? So that, that basically the, at the core of that is relationship. So we want to be in a relationship with you. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to jump in here quick because I have a lot to go through. But we have been going through a, uh, a series we call Jesus Is. We've been going through the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is this just incredible, um, it's this incredible eyewitness account that Jesus' best friend, the Apostle John, wrote. And he wrote it um, so that the reader would believe in Jesus. He literally says that at the end of chapter 20. He says, I wrote this so you'd believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And, And we're convinced that the Bible teaches that what you believe is really important. Not just what you acknowledge to be true, but what you actually trust in. Because what you believe, it actually, it's kind of like the software for your life. It, it determines how you behave. It's, re- it's a really, really big deal. So we're gonna, we've been spending weeks now. I think this is week 22. Yeah, week 22 through John, and we're only in chapter 6. <laughs> so we've got a long way to go, but I feel like it's been really, really rich. So speaking of John chapter 6, go ahead and flip there. That's what we're going to be today, John chapter 6. And while you're flipping there, I want to just kind of tell you a bit about what happened um, and just kind of inform you of something that I think you should know about from um, our time in London. So just to kind of give you a picture, the agenda, I've traveled more than I'd like to this like quarter, more than I ever have, to be honest. And if I'm honest, I I really, I didn't want to go on this trip. not because I didn't think that there was value in the trip. I really thought that there was, and, there, and, there, and there, there was, and there is, and there will be kind of thing. But the agenda of the trip pretty much was to kind of solidify some partnerships um, for, for global church planting, okay? Herrick mentioned we're part of a family of churches um, that we work really, really close together um, to see churches planted, to see disciples made. Um, But there's a difference between planting churches an hour or two down the freeway and like two continents over. (laughs) Those are two totally different things. So the agenda was kind of twofold on this trip. It was one to kind of solidify those partnerships of how we're going to actually help plant churches globally. And the second piece was honestly to pray for the United Kingdom. Um, it is a dark place. Uh, people here, for the most part in our valley, this is a really unique place in that like, the church isn't really something that's necessarily frowned upon. Um, Jesus is kind of like, oh yeah, cool. Even if people don't believe in Jesus, like, yeah, cool, you do your thing. You know, The UK and most of Europe is like, they've moved on from Jesus. Jesus is like the equivalent of the tooth fairy. People are like, you, you, you believe in the tooth fairy? That's crazy. Like, that's like hundreds of years ago. That doesn't make sense. So it's a really dark place. They desperately need the gospel, but we're seeing amazing things happen. So agenda of the trip, global church planting, praying for the UK. And so we're in the middle of the English countryside and this kind of like retreat center thing. And, and we actually, me and Ebony stayed in this, uh, this tiny little cottage. Um, they said it was 600 years old. Crazy, right? Might sound super romantic, <laughs> but we walk into this cottage, and forgive me, guys, like, I genuinely, God's trying to teach me to be thankful and grateful 
Like, I really need to develop this. I'm not joking. Like, this is a serious moment. Like, I need to be grateful for, I don't deserve anything. Like, so I'm just going to con- kind of confess some sin first. Uh, so I, we walk into this cottage and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, this is where I'm staying for the next few days. Like, I just spent like, you know, 12 hours on an airplane and two hours on a train and another hour and a half in a car. Like, and just like, gr- gross. You know what I mean? Like, I'm in the UK with my wife and I'm just thinking about what I don't have. It's just disgusting. You'll learn that about me. I'm a terrible person. But so we walk into this cottage and the ceilings, I'm not exaggerating, the ceilings are this high. So Eb's cool. She's fine. Me, I'm like, okay, here we go. I have to walk on my knees. Like there's no other option. So the only reason I share the cottage where we're staying in is because we're walking from the cottage to where we're going to meet. And, and Ebony shares something with me that she'd essentially been keeping from me um, because she doesn't want me to worry. But she shared with me as we're walking to, from the cottage to this space. She goes, hey, um, it's been, a, I don't know, a week or two at the time, but there's something that you need to know. Um, I have this lump in my armpit, and it's about the size of, like, a large grape. So I'm like... I, I feel like I could, like my mind just starts racing, my mind starts, starts running, and I'm, I feel like I could handle a lot, but I feel like I just can't even fathom like my wife, one, suffering, two, like losing her. So my mind just goes down the worst case scenario. And the reason that she didn't tell me wasn't because she likes to keep things from me, it's because she, she knows that I would worry. And um, so we, you know, we go back to, with our crew, and there's a... Um, I go straight to this guy, Terry. You guys will meet him. I'll bring him in to preach. Um, older guy, father in the faith, just like a gifted shepherd. And I'm like, Terry, like, uh, we need to pray for Eb. Like, this, I told him what happened. And he's like, yep, that's serious. Like, make sure she gets it checked out the moment she gets back, but we'll pray, you know. And, and then um, many of you guys have met Chris and Meryl, Chris, South African couple. Chris is like my mentor. His wife, Meryl. Um, Ebony told her, <clears throat> she's like, yeah, we'll have some prayer time. And, um, but you need to get this checked out. It's like, it's a big deal, you know. Um, and I'm the type of guy, like, I try to avoid the doctor at all costs. I'm the classic, like, dude. Um, and you just don't want to do that ever. Like, just hear me say that. Don't ever do that. Um, and so that evening, we had some intentional prayer time. It was a small group of people, guys, like 30 people. And so we had some, like, after the night session and some worship and, um, and some intentional prayer time, praying over, Fred, praying over Ebony and and it was really encouraging. I think she felt like just really loved and they really like kind of rallied to, to try to bless her and to pray for her. And that night, so maybe a couple hours after the prayer time, we come back to the cottage and um, we're getting ready for bed. And Ebony's like, hey, the lump's gone. And I'm like, what? And she's like, it's not there. And in my mind, I'm just like, thank you, Jesus. But at the same time, I'm like, let's see what happens tomorrow morning. Because it was spectacular. It was like, it's there, we pray, we walk back to the cottage, and it's gone. Wake up the next morning, the lump is gone. Miraculously, explain that to me. Yes, thank, thank you. I'm like, I'm like waiting for the applause, like no one's going to clap. I don't know about you, but I was fired up because I love my wife. Um, and listen to me, we've talked about this before. 
God does, he moves in mysterious ways. I mean, we've, as a community, we've prayed for healing dozens and dozens and dozens of times, and it hasn't resulted in healing. Um, so this isn't like, a, like, a, um, like, like God's a slot machine kind of thing. And just, oh, maybe, maybe you get lucky today. Like, one of the things I'm convinced of is his sovereignty and his goodness. And one of the things that I think that came out of this, even for me, um, that I feel like God really is working is like I talked about this idea of being grateful for each moment, man. Like this planet is not the way it's supposed to be. But thankfully we serve a God who is, he's about bringing redemptive order to his creation of making things the way they're supposed to be. Heaven's, heaven's coming to earth. That's the way the book ends. Okay, heaven comes to earth. We don't go to heaven. Heaven comes to us and all things are restored. But I share that with you because today... Um, we're going to be talking about in this passage in John, there's disciples and they saw God do amazing, miraculous, supernatural things. Things that make the lump disappearing look like, like child's play. These guys witnessed Jesus do incredible things, but it wasn't enough to keep them. It wasn't enough to keep them. These disciples, they turn away from Jesus. They stop following him. Today we're going to talk about why, okay? Grab your Bible, John chapter 6. I'm already going longer than I want to, so we might have a long morning, but bear with me. Let me pray for us quickly, and then we'll jump in, okay? John chapter 6, Holy Spirit, um, help me not to rush now. Uh, I really want your agenda to be accomplished this morning. I really want, I don't want to get in the way of anything that you want to do. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking you just simply, would you open our ears, open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts to the beauty and reality of Jesus, myself included. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 6, we're going to read verses 60 through 71 this morning. I'm going to start here in verse 60. I'm in the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Here we go. Okay, therefore, when many of his, the his is Jesus, when many of his disciples heard this, Pause for a second. Therefore, what? What did they hear? Okay, we have to know this before we, before we keep reading. Okay, therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, the this that we're talking about here is Jesus just got done saying some really uncomfortable things. Okay, if you were with us last week, we talked about these uncomfortable things. Jesus basically says, no, he certainly says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. It offended people, okay? And then he said something even more gnarly. He said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Okay, that one's pretty intense. Uh, Christians are not, one of the things they're not really known for is cannibalism, but uh, if you have questions about this, I don't have time to jump into it too much. You can listen back to the podcast, but Jesus is not teaching cannibalism, okay? But he's teaching things that are making these people feel uncomfortable, okay? That's the this that they heard. So let's keep going. Verse 60, therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? really quickly. When they say this teaching is hard, they're not referring to like a misunderstanding. They're not like, oh, this is hard to understand. That's not what they're saying. It wasn't hard for them to understand. It was hard for them to accept. They didn't like it. Make sense? It made them uncomfortable. Um, One of the things that I used to do when I was in college, I'm looking for my water, there it is. One of the things that I used to do in college, um, just for like extra cash and stuff, was I would give guitar lessons. There's not a lot of money to be made in giving guitar lessons, but I did it. And one of the things that was funny is it happened every time. 
you'd have someone and they'd be stoked. They'd be really excited to learn how to play guitar because learning, like, guitar is a sexy instrument. It just is. Like, oh, I could, I could see myself, you know, like wearing it low and just looking cool and playing. And, and people have these kind of visions of grandeur of playing guitar. So they're like, okay, they're pumped. They, 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 they buy a guitar, they spend all the money, and then they, they come and they get lessons. And what would happen is I'd start to, I'd start to teach them. And, and just so you know, I mean, you guys probably can figure this out on your own, but you put your hands in really uncomfortable positions, like really unnatural positions. So what would happen, like, I'm not exaggerating, probably half the time is maybe four or five lessons in, they'd quit. Because they're like, my fingers hurt. I don't want to do this anymore. My fingers hurt. My hand hurts. It's cramping. It's uncomfortable. It's not a natural thing. So half of my students would quit. These disciples that we're reading about right now, they're impressed with Jesus. They think Jesus is cool. They think Jesus is kind of sexy. Like he's doing these amazing things, right? He clearly has divine power. He's doing miracles. But the more they listen to Jesus' teachings, the more uncomfortable it makes them. Because Jesus is te- he's teaching his disciples to do the most unnatural thing ever. To hand over the lordship of your life. Now, forcing your hand into kind of uncomfortable positions, you know when you're learning to play guitar? Super unnatural, right? But listen, there's a blessing on the other side of that discomfort. It's called music. It's a gift. It's beautiful. Name somebody who doesn't like music. Like it doesn't really exist. Music's this beautiful gift. And there's a blessing on the, un- on the other side of that uncomfortable, painful, unnatural learning to play guitar. It's music, right? Now listen, handing over the lordship of your life, dude, that's way more uncomfortable than learning to play guitar. But hear me say this. There's something beautiful on the other side of it. There's a blessing on the other side of it. That blessing is life. The way that it's supposed to be. Like actual life. There's blessing on the other side of discomfort, friends. You need to hear me say that. If you're taking notes, I'd write that one down. Because so much of our lives is us actually avoiding comfort. Recently, I read this article, um, and it, was, it brought up this, uh, this report or study or whatever by the CDC, you know, the Center for Disease Control. And basically, what that report was, it was, it was documenting how, or it was reporting on how the, the birth rate in America is, is declining, like, significantly. It's pretty intense, right? And, like... Um, <clears throat> Not only is it declining significantly, but it's been declining significantly for years. I want to read you this quick uh, quote here from this article I read. This woman, Kate Wheeling, she said this about this, this report about the birth rate being in decline. She says this, quote, the, ver- the fertility rate in the United States has been falling for years, dipping so low that the nation's population would be declining without immigration. That's nuts according to a new report from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. This marks the seventh straight year that fertility rate has dropped. In 2017, the nationwide fertility rate was 1,765 and a half births per 1,000 women of childbearing age, well below the rate of 2,100 births 
per 1,000 women, listen to this, necessary to keep the population stable. So what the numbers that, basically how many babies need to, need to be born for the population to stay the same, it's drastically under that, okay? And what's interesting is like, there's all sorts of theories as to why this is happening. Why are there way less babies being born? What is going on? And I kind of like, you know, when you get on clickbait and you start following all these rabbit trails, I started reading all these different articles about different theories, like why is this happening? And it's funny because there's all these different theories. Some people say like there's all these cultural shifts happening and that's why less babies are being born. Uh, It's the economy. That's why uh, there's not as many babies being born. Personally, I'm convinced it's something else. Um, (laughs) Technically, I'm a millennial. I'm like right there on the cusp. And there's one thing about uh, this generation, the millennial generation, is that millennials avoid the uncomfortable probably more than any generation in history. Like, I do not want to be uncomfortable. Uh, Comfort is like everything. I prioritize comfort over everything. And do you know what's really uncomfortable? Giving birth to a baby. (laughs) Like, guys... I've been in the room for two of them, and there's nothing more intense than that. Like, I'm still, okay, it's, a, it's incredible. Like, it's, seriously, it's a beautiful thing. It is an incredible, beautiful thing, but it is traumatic, <laughs> okay? It is traumatic, and like, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around how it even happens, like how it's even possible but it's not comfortable, dude. So my eldest daughter, Amelia, uh, Eb was in labor with her for 32 hours. Oh, man, like I've never seen anything like that, okay? You follow me, I drift. It's uncomfortable, okay? It's uncomfortable. It's incredibly uncomfortable. But do you know what's on the other side of that discomfort? My daughter. The other side of that discomfort, there's a baby. There's new life. It's beautiful, man. When we avoid things because they're uncomfortable, we miss the blessing on the other side. Are you tracking with me? Yeah? And here we say this. So much of the Christian life, stay with me, so much of the Christian life is doing things that are uncomfortable. Like, how many of you guys enjoy dealing with conflict? Raise your hand. A couple of us, I don't, actually don't mind it. But most people don't. It's an uncomfortable thing to do, okay? But following Jesus, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, forgive, the way that, forgive in the way that I've forgiven you. He even goes as far as to say, love your enemies, man. That's gnarly. Following Jesus, being a Christian, it, it's, honestly, it's a life of discomfort, most, not most, a lot of the time. It, it, it really, really is. But think about it. Think about what happens when you, when you don't run away from conflict. When you don't, honestly, when you don't walk in pride. How could this person do this to me, say this about me, treat me this way? And I would be willing to guarantee you, I'd bet my life on it, that if you were to stand before God, you'd be just as guilty. Maybe not in that relationship, but you'd be just as guilty of the same offense. Or maybe you're not like me, maybe you're not broken and you're not messed up and you're not wicked. But guys, there's beauty on the other side of of, of discomfort. 
of following Jesus as a Christian, not running away from these ideas of conflict. These disciples that we're reading about, guys, they understood that following Jesus meant doing something really, really uncomfortable. It meant handing over the lordship of their life. And it was too hard for them. So, my friend, pastorally, as your brother, ask you a question. Is there an area of your life that you've been unwilling to give Jesus lordship over? I'm going to say it again. Is there an area of your life that you've been unwilling to give Jesus lordship over? You can have this, Jesus, but oh, this part's mine. I do this. Um, <clears throat> it's been said of the American church that the last thing that we give Jesus lordship over is our wallets. I don't think it's, I don't think it's uh, just an American thing, but it's, it's been said. For some of us, that's probably true. It's probably a true statement. You know, like, oh, man, the money thing's really, really tough. But honestly, like, as I was thinking about this, this this week and praying through, I'm like, I like, I love our church. I'm, like, so proud of this church. Like, many of you are some of the most incredibly generous people I've ever met in my life. And not to get something out of it, because you're receiving God's love and grace, and it's transforming you. It's beautiful, okay? Many of you incredibly generous. Some of you even tithe on the money that God's entrusted to you. If you don't know what tithing is, it's basically just you give a tenth back to God as a way of demonstrating, I don't trust in the stuff that you give me, God. I trust in you. <clears throat> and as I was praying on this, um, this week, I felt like God brought something to mind. First for me, and then I genuinely think for us, for this church. Like Jesus might actually be the Lord of your wallet. Beautiful, it's amazing. But is he the Lord of your calendar? Think about this for a second. He, he might be the Lord of your life. Is he the Lord of your calendar? Like you might even tithe your money. Beautiful, amazing, pleases the Lord. But do you tithe your time? In other words, is Jesus the Lord of how you spend your time? Now, I don't want you to misunderstand really quick. I think this is important. This is not about getting you to serve in ministry more. This is, that has nothing to do with this. This is about getting you to spend time with him more. You're tracking with me. That's what I'm talking about. Him. To give him time, to engage with him. And not just like things about him, but him. Did you know you can read your Bible and never spend time with God? I did it two days ago. It sucked. Sorry, I said sucked, but that's bad. It was awful. Because I wanted him and I thought like, but I didn't actually engage with him. I'm talking about engaging with him. Like guys, my trip, my trip in London with Ebb, that's what London was for us. I didn't want to go on the trip, honestly, because I didn't want to be away from many of you. I love our church. I'm tired of traveling this quarter. Um, important things, yes, but my heart is, my heart is with you. Our heart is with you. We love you. I didn't want to go, and that was one of the primary reasons. But I'm so glad that I did. Not only did God heal my wife miraculously, but like I got to be with her. Our children weren't on this trip. Hallelujah. 
Like, I love them so much. But like, guys, I got to be with Ebony. I got to talk to her and listen to her and be alone with her. I got to enjoy her and engage her. I got to see her again. We have a busy life, young kids, the church, our lives, families, friends. It it can get chaotic, but I got to be with her, okay? Friends, is Jesus the Lord of your calendar? I would say for many of us, the answer is probably no. So I think for some of you guys, following Jesus, him being the Lord of your calendar, is actually means you slow down. Like you're going too hard. Like work can wait. It can. The project can wait. The cell phone, put, it can wait. Like for some of us, following Jesus with our time means slowing down. But the truth is for many of us, Jesus is not the Lord of our calendar. In fact, we're just like the people in this passage. This teaching is too hard. We don't accept it. And the reason we don't accept it, the reason we don't embrace it, the the reason we don't obey it is because we don't see the blessing on the other side of it, of being with him. Let me read you this out of Matthew chapter 11. This is the words of Jesus, okay? Talking about this idea of the blessing on the other side. He says this, this should sound familiar. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Guys, handing over the lordship of your life to Jesus is really uncomfortable. But the blessing on the other side of that is rest. Like, exhale, rest. And not like recreational rest. That's not what I'm talking about. Not like the kind of, oh, I need a vacation, and then you get back and you need a vacation from your vacation. I'm not talking about recreational rest. I'm talking about rest for your soul. Like, guys, do you know what that feels like? I'd be willing to bet some of you have been following Jesus, maybe for a significant amount of time. Do you know what it feels like to have your soul at rest? One of the things I love about this church is that we know each other. It's not like we attend this gathering and then, peace, uh, good to see you, ha, ha, hug, see ya. Like we actually are growing in love for each other. We're being and becoming the church. And part of that means like, I know some of you are really struggling. I know some things are hard and you're, hear me say this, your soul needs rest. And Jesus says that the the rest that your soul longs for is found under his leadership. But far too often we believe this dangerous lie that rest is actually found in our leadership. Me being the Lord of my life, me, me controlling things, me calling the shots, that means I can secure rest for myself. It's like actually a lie. But here's the thing, when we like... 
you're, you gotta be just like me in this. Like, it feels good sometimes. I think like genuinely, like it feels so natural to be my own Lord. This is the way it should feel. Like, yeah, this is good. I'm, I'm, I'm calling the shots. But the truth is oftentimes it's not that we're ignorant of, Jesus, of what Jesus' Lordship looks like. It's not that we, that we don't know what his Lordship would look like. It's that we don't actually want it. Because if he's Lord, it means that I'm not. We think we make a better one. And Jesus is going to tell us right here in the, in the, the next verses, he's going to tell us just the opposite. Let's keep reading. Verse 67 here. I'm sorry, 61. Pardon me. Verse 61. Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, asked them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Verse 63, the Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. Okay, Jesus says something super important here in verse uh, 62. He says, the flesh doesn't help at all. What Jesus is doing here is he's making a distinction between the flesh and the spirit. He's separating them, okay? <clears throat> he says they're different, and in fact, they're actually opposed to each other, okay? Have you guys ever seen those cartoons where, like, um, you know, like the main character cartoon is, has a decision to make, and then something pops up on his shoulder, and it's like an angel. It's like dressed like an angel or something, and it's like don't do that, it's actually gonna hurt you and hurt other people and like, don't do that. And then you have like the little devil that pops up on this side of the shoulder and is like, do it, do it. It'll be fun, it'll feel great. You guys know what I'm talking about? You've seen this silly, it's like Looney Tunes and like every, every cartoon since the beginning of time. But you know this picture I'm talking about, right? Both of them, right? The little devil, the little angel, they're both attempting to influence, right? They're both attempting to inform, and every cartoon that does this, they have this moment where the main character, right, the one who's being kind of informed, considers who he's going to allow or she's going to allow influence them. And if it's the little devil, they'll do like devilish things. And if it's the angel, then they'll do these, you know, angelic things. But every time, every single time, the character becomes like the one that is informing them. Friends, hear me say this. What informs you, forms you. I'm going to say that again. What informs you, forms you into who you are, into how you live. Okay, last week we talked about the outcome of, <clears throat> of feasting on Jesus, right? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. We talked about the outcome of consuming Jesus and that it results in eternal life. So listen, if Jesus, if God in the flesh, if he's informing your life, if he's informing what you think, if he's informing what you believe, if he's informing how you spend your time, how you spend your money, all of it, if he's informing you, guess what you will be formed into? You'll be formed into a person who looks a lot like Jesus. The Bible calls this sanctification. I'm, I know I'm teaching a lot this morning, but stay with me. That's what sanctification is. It's this process of becoming more like Jesus. And it's the process that every single Christian is going through right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, God is making you more like him. He's sanctifying you. And it's, again, I want to I hit on this. It's a process. It does not happen overnight. Okay? 
We do not defeat sin completely in our lives. It has been defeated, but we don't, we don't stop sinning indefinitely day one. No, it's a process of becoming more like him and putting, putting sin more and more to death. Okay? And Jesus says that this process, right? He says the flesh doesn't help this process at all. Not at all. Because flesh, what it does is it always points us inward. It points us in on ourselves. The essence of sin, hear me say this, the essence of sin is selfishness. It's I choose me over you. That's at the heart of every sin. I choose me, how I feel, what I want over you. Okay, in the flesh, it drives us to that every time. So essentially, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The outcome of sin is death. So essentially, what the flesh is doing is it's driving us to death. Because it's driving us to focus on ourself, which is sin, right? The flesh is sinful in nature. But the Holy Spirit doesn't point us to self. The Holy Spirit points us to what? Jesus. That's like his main job description is he points people to Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look how beautiful Jesus is. Look at the glory of Jesus. Look, what he's do- Look at the love of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the majesty of Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. If someone tells you, the Spirit told me this, and it is not associated with look how glorious Jesus is, friends, it's not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God constantly pointing us to Jesus, constantly pointing us to what? If, if our flesh points us, um, if our flesh points us to ourselves, which leads us to death, the Spirit, the Spirit points us to Jesus, which leads us to what? Life. Actually living. And not waiting for eternal life. Yes, it's coming, sin and death, gone forever, God restoring all things, but it can happen now too actually experiencing life the way it's supposed to be, where your circumstances don't dictate your joy. And when your wife finds a lump in her armpit, you're not destroyed. Because you know that God's in the process of what? Of, of, of life, heaven, invading earth. And we know what the outcome is. Jesus said that he's the way, the truth, and the life. This flesh and the spirit are completely different. Let me read you um, Paul. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, he says this, verses 5 and 6. Excuse me. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now, Now, the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set of the Spirit is life and peace. So listen to me. Please don't trust yourself. <laughs> don't trust yourself. Your flesh, don't trust. If you want to ruin your life, just trust yourself. Your opinion, what you think, how you feel, what you want. Like, <clears throat> follow your heart. You know, as kids, literally everything, Disney, cartoons, everything. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Like, that's the worst advice ever. Like, seriously, hear me say this. Don't feel weird, Kylie. It's okay. Stay with me. We're a family. Follow your heart is the worst advice ever. 
It's Disney's message. It's not Jesus's message, okay? Uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, it says that the heart is deceitful. Like it wants to deceive you. That's pretty dangerous. Like, the heart is deceitful. Why? Because it's selfish in nature. So what do you do? What do you do if you're a person like me and you're like, my heart's deceitful, like it, it tries to deceive me and it leads me towards myself, which leads me to death. Like, what do we do? Like, here's what you don't need to do. Hear me say this. You do not need to try harder. You do not, like, it, it won't work. <laughs> what you need is you need a brand new heart. You need a brand new heart, a heart that's not informed by the flesh, but a heart that's informed by the spirit of God. So think of like becoming a Christian as getting a heart transplant, like heart surgery, right? And what's the thing about surgery? It can be pretty painful. Like it can be kind of scary. I don't know about you, I'm a wuss when it comes to surgeries. Like I've only had a couple and they've been like minor and I've had some friends that are potentially gonna have some surgeries and stuff. And it, like my initial default reaction is like, oh God, no, please, this is the worst thing ever. I don't, I'm scared, it's painful. I don't want you cutting into my body. Like, dude, surgeries can be scary. They can be painful. They can obviously be uncomfortable. <clears throat> but the goal of surgery is ultimately what? more life. It's more life. Guys, sanctification is the process of learning to live with that new heart. Okay, once it's been installed, now what? How does it operate? How does it work? Okay, how do you live with the new heart? It's it's learning to be informed by the spirit more and more, that sanctification, instead of being informed by your sinful flesh. Because the flesh is going to say every time, the flesh is going to say, do what you want. Follow your heart. Do what you want. And the spirit of God says, do what Jesus would do if he was you. Let that be, I didn't come up with that, but let that just be your mantra. Like, I want to do what Jesus would do if he was me. Because you're unique. You are. There's nobody like you. What informs you, my friends, actually forms you. Let's not, let's not fall asleep on this, okay? Verse 64, let's keep going. But this is Jesus. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. Verse 65, he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Okay, who does it say no longer followed Jesus in this passage? Many of his what? I can't hear you. Don't be afraid. Yeah, many of his disciples. That means there was a relationship there. Like these are people that, that believed he was the Messiah, They followed him. These are people that saw him do miracles. They believe, some of them even believe he's the king of Israel. Like he's gonna lead us. Like this is gonna be amazing. These are disciples. 
So this isn't like following someone on Instagram. This is very, very different. They, it says they stopped accompanying him. They stopped being with him. Why? Because he made them uncomfortable. It wasn't him they were after. It was comfort. And I think we would all say it's, it's actually pretty easy to follow Jesus when it's comfortable. But what about when Jesus asks you to do something uncomfortable? What about when Jesus asks you to do something unnatural? What if you put your fingers on the guitar frets in a way that's kind of painful? What about when he asks you to deny what makes you comfortable? Um, I've shared this story before. I'm going long, but I'm going to keep going. I hope you don't mind. Uh, I've shared this story before, but I think it'll be helpful for some of us. Um, there is a season in life where I was, I, was, I was leading worship at this rather large Christian event. And uh, they had to do kind of two events back to back just for the sake of, of space. And um, so I'm leading worship and the first event goes great. And the second event's about to start and uh, the, the speaker... Uh, the speaker left. <laughs> speaker left. And the guy who was kind of heading up the event, he kind of like, I could see it in his eyes. He was kind of like, oh, crap. And thankfully, what they did was they recorded the, the, the prior event, and they, so they had like a DVD. So he go, the guy who's, le- I'm leading worship, right? The guy who is leading the event, or put on the event, he go, comes up to me, and this is five minutes before the thing's supposed to start. And he goes, Hey, um, he hands me one of those wireless mics. Hey, man, here's a mic. Um, I need you to go up there and let the people know that, we're, that, um, that the speaker's not here and we're going to play a DVD for them. And I'm like, that's like way above my pay grade, dude. Like, you need to be guy, the guy that goes up there. But he just kind of hot potatoes it to me and walks away. And I'm like, I am not, there's like hundreds of people at this thing. I do not want to walk on that stage to people who have like driven from far away, come here to hear this guy. Hey, thanks for coming. You get to watch a TV. Like I felt so uncomfortable about it. I was like, I do not want to do this, but I'm okay. So I'm like, it's this big stage. I'm standing on the wing back here, like ready, ready to walk onto a stage to tell these people things. And as I'm standing there, like, there's times in my life when I know that God is, t- like times I'm like, did God say that? Did he not? Is he leading me in this way? And then there's times where I'm like, oh, that's him. Like, and it was one of those times and he goes, um, he, I felt like God said, these people need a shepherd. I want you to preach to them. And I'm like, guys, 30 seconds before I'm supposed to walk out. Maybe not, maybe like 60 seconds. So I start my mind, God, what, what are the ramifications of this? Like, this could be really, really bad. Like, I could offend people. I could, all, like, my reputation. It could look like I'm trying to be power. All these different things going through my brain. But I'm like, okay. Like, Lord spoke. I knew it was him. So I walk out on the stage. I have the microphone. And I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. So glad that you're here. We have a DVD for you. Enjoy. And I walk off. 
and I'm feeling like heavy. And sh- I'm feeling shame is what I'm feeling. And I walk out into like the lobby area and this woman, I've never seen her before. She walks up to me and she has this like, like, she's not like glowing, like, like glow in the dark. But I'm not exaggerating, guys. Her face was like radiant. And she looks me dead in the eyes and she goes, man, I was really hoping you were gonna preach. And she smiles. She walks out of the building and I don't see her ever again. And guys, I literally went home that night and I literally, Eb just held me as I sobbed. Like I chose my comfort over following Jesus. Like I still get choked up thinking about it because I'm like, I literally rejected my Lord. I know it's a silly example and you could justify, oh, there's all these people and it could be bad for me and like, but I knew he said it. And I don't know how that woman knew. I chose what was comfortable over Jesus. I was just like these disciples who turned away. In that moment, they stopped following Jesus. In that moment, moment by moment, that's the role of the Christian, moment by moment following Jesus. He's our Lord, he's our shepherd, he's our savior. I was just like them. So here's the thing. Hear me say this. You need to be aware of the situations where you are likely to turn away. Moment by moment. You need to be, I'm going to say that again. Listen. You need to be aware of the situations where you are likely to turn away. Not in forever, like I'm denying Jesus forever. No, but like in the moment, like I'm not going to follow Jesus with this. You need to be aware of what those situations are for you. You need to be aware of the environments where it's most difficult for you to follow Jesus. It's about being in tune with your weaknesses. Okay, maybe for some of you it's at work. Like you desperately want your boss's approval. You want to impress your boss because you, maybe you want the promotion or maybe you, whatever. You want to impress your boss. So like, yeah, maybe I'll engage with something that's, probably not honoring to other people or honoring to God. I'm not, I stopped following Jesus for this because I really want to impress my boss. And he thinks certain things are funny, so maybe I'll, yeah, I'll laugh at the racist joke. I'm not racist, but like I'll laugh at the joke because I want to like impress my boss and he's racist and he's tracking with me. Understanding these areas. Maybe it's coworkers. Maybe they engage in dialogue. Maybe it's gossip and you were like, I really don't want them to think I'm a prude and like, like I really want them to like me and I feel like an outsider at work and like, but knowing that you're weak in that area, that you're, you're t- really tempted to stop following Jesus in that area. Maybe for you, maybe it's not at work. Maybe it's just certain friend groups, okay? Um, maybe, maybe, friends, maybe, maybe friends party a little too hard, okay? Well, this church, we love to celebrate. We love to party. Okay, Christians should be known. We have more to celebrate than anybody in the world, okay? So one of the things, if you're journeying with us, you'll learn we give ourselves to celebration, Good food, good drink, good company, dancing the whole nine yards, okay? But maybe you have friend groups, maybe they go a little too hard. Maybe they cross boundaries. And you want, you're, maybe there's history there and you want acceptance and you want to be approved of and you, you want them to know that you love them and you don't want them to think that you're a, a weird Christian. So maybe, yeah, maybe you do drink too much. 
Maybe that's a weakness for you. For some of you, maybe it's when you're alone with unrestricted internet access because the possibilities there are absolutely endless. (laughs) What is it for you, my friend? I have my list. You want to ask me? I'll tell you after the message. I have my list. There's things I cannot... I know I'm, I'm, these are like situations where I know I'm weak. I know I'm likely to potentially turn away from Jesus and I don't want to. I'm in the process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. It's a process. So friends, hear me say this. The Christian is someone who's in the process of living more and more according to the spirit and less and less according to the flesh. It's incremental, one degree of glory to the next. Slowly but surely, okay? So the mature Christian, hear me say this, the mature Christian is not someone without temptation to stop following Jesus. Everybody, Jesus was tempted in every way, the Bible says, yet did not sin. So the mature Christian is not someone who's like, no, I'm not tempted. I'm not tempted to stop following Jesus in any areas. No, the mature Christian is someone who knows the environments where they're weak. I know I'm weak in this area. That's maturity, And it's someone who tells others where they're weak so they can get the support that they need to avoid turning away from Jesus. In all, like, in love, newsflash, that's all of us. Every single one of us. That's why the church has to have at the very core of it relationship. Because listen to me, if you're not known, you will drift. You will turn away. Why? Because the flesh is really strong. It's stronger than you. It's stronger than me. You tracking with me? So we're all in the same boat. That's the beautiful thing about the cross and the gospels. It means we're all jacked up. It's not like there's like varsity and JV and like, you didn't make the team. It's like losers, all of us. All of us. We're all in this boat together. So you need to know where it's most difficult for you to follow Jesus and so do those closest to you. I'm going to say that one more time because this is massive. If you take anything away, take this away, okay? You need to know where it's most difficult for you to follow Jesus and so do those closest to you. All right, let's finish up this passage. I'm almost done. Verse 67. So Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? Remember all these crowds of people just walked away from Jesus. So he goes to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe, that word believe means trust. We have come to trust and know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus replied to him, didn't I choose you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the 12 because he was going to betray him. Okay, so I'm gonna wrap up with this. There are two types of disciples that we see in this story, okay? The first one is this. The first is the false disciple, okay? This is the disciple who turns away, right? Like the crowd, like Judas. Now, this false disciple, this disciple who turns away, this is a person, like there's a history in following Jesus. Like they followed Jesus, there's a history there, but there's been a departure, Okay, these are people who come to Jesus, but they don't want him, they want something from him. And when they don't get what they want, 
or following Jesus costs them something that they're not willing to give up, they bounce. Nope, too much, I'm out. They stop following Jesus. That's the false disciple, okay? That's the, the, the disciple who turns away. Um, the next disciple we see here in the scripture is the genuine disciple. Essentially, this is the Christian, okay? The genuine disciple. <clears throat> and one of the things I love in this passage is that it's Peter. It's Peter who models the genuine Christian. And if you know anything about Peter, you know he messed up a ton, okay? His resume's not great, Okay, Peter, he gives me a lot of hope, okay? Peter, he messed up a ton. In fact, many of the things that would describe the false disciple, you know, these things, <clears throat> many of the things that would describe this false disciple, they'd actually describe Peter. Denying Jesus multiple times, turning away from Jesus, not following Jesus, not obeying Jesus. Like Peter drifted into racism. Read Galatians, it's crazy the apostle Peter, like the rock of the church that God built the church on. Like, amazing guy, right? His track record's rough. And I love that it's Peter who models what the genuine Christian is because so much of his life looks like the false disciple. So what makes Peter different? What's the difference between a false disciple and a genuine disciple? The last couple of weeks has really been like, this like, should be like a three-part sermon because it's all one part of what Jesus is talking about, this eat my flesh, drink my blood thing. But this whole passage, this whole thing is about Jesus telling these people they don't deserve anything. They don't deserve anything. And they can't make things right themselves. Why? Because they're not good enough. They've, they've royally blown it. They're sinners, They can't make things right. They're not good enough. And Jesus' whole thing is like, it's gonna take more than what they can do to fix things. It's gonna take more than than their abilities and their wisdom and their strength to make things right, to fix things. It's gonna take Jesus' perfect life in their place. It's gonna take his atoning death in their place. It's gonna take his flesh and his blood. The the beautiful thing about Christianity and the offensive thing about Christianity is that it demands that you hope in one thing and one thing alone. The grace of God. That's it. The grace of God. Not what you do. The good stuff the impressive stuff, not what you don't do, the good stuff, the imp- I don't do that. I don't struggle in that way. I'm, I'm mature. Literally, it's, your, the Christian, Christianity demands that your hope is in one thing, the grace of God, not what you do, not what you don't do. Listen to me, not even your motives. Not even your motives. Listen, the genuine disciple, the genuine disciple knows even their motives aren't pure. Even, the, even my motives for going to God are imperfect at best. The genuine disciple knows this. So listen, if you're here and you're like, you know what? I'm, I can't really fully go to God until I get my motives right. Like I need to kind of, 
I need to clean myself up. I need to, I, need, I just, I gotta, there's gotta be some more, I gotta make myself more pure. Like I, I can't go to him. My motives aren't pure. Like if that's you, listen to me, that's pride. Because your hope is in your motives. Not God's grace. Not his glorious, beautiful, unending grace. Unmerited, undeserved favor. So my kind of last point is the false disciples' hope is in something other than God's grace. That's the difference. Genuine disciple, God's grace is my only hope. That's it. It's all I got. The false disciple is my hope's in something other than God's grace. It's in what I do. It's in how I feel. It's in my, getting myself, my, myself motivated well. So I'll close with this. I'll call the band on up, you guys. Thanks for bearing with me. I know it's kind of stuffy in here. And I have a frog in my throat. So, this is helpful. Whatever holds you back, anything, whatever holds you back from receiving God's undeserved grace, that's what you actually hope in. So the example I used was like, I need to get my motives right. I, I gotta clean myself up. Your hope is in what you do. It's not in God's grace because it's keeping you from receiving God's grace because you need to contribute something. Okay, God's called all of us to contribute to the body, absolutely, but it has no bearing on your salvation. Jesus is flesh and blood, his grace, doing it for people who don't deserve it. Like, are you tracking with this beautiful idea? It's important. Okay, so whatever holds you back from receiving God's undeserved grace, that's what you hope in, okay? So when Jesus, he asks his remaining disciples, he goes, do you want to leave me too? All these people just left me. Do you want to go too? Peter's response is what? His response is, Lord, to whom will we go? To whom will we go? Like, in other words, there's nobody else, Jesus. There's nobody else. All of my hope, all of it's in you. I'm all in on you, Jesus. Without you, I don't have any other options. All my chips are pushed into the center. I got nothing left. It's all on you. He says, Jesus, you alone have the words for eternal life. You alone are the Holy One of God. The genuine disciple says, I'm betting everything on the grace of God, on Jesus' body and his blood. So when I mess up, what do I do? I don't go, okay, I gotta figure out a better Bible reading plan. Gotta spend more time in the word, man. Like, I gotta figure this thing out. You run to the grace of Jesus. When you sin against your spouse, run to the grace of Jesus. When you yell at your kids, run to the grace of Jesus. When you cheat on your taxes and you feel the conviction, run to the grace of Jesus. That's what the genuine disciple does consistently every day. I recognize the sin. I recognize the way I've departed from following Jesus and I run to his grace because it's my only hope. Because I know that if I try to clean myself up, it's still not good enough. It's filthy rags. It reeks in the nostrils of God because God's holy and he's perfect and he demands perfection, but he's not a tyrant He's a loving king who sends his son to give you the perfection you need to be in his presence. Do you hear me say that? You need to know it, though. The genuine disciple's hope is in God's grace alone. Not anything about themselves, but on the finished work of Jesus at the cross.
here's the beautiful part, guys. I'm, I'm almost done, I promise. What happens over time is you run to God's grace and you receive it. What happens over time is that grace, it starts to transform you. It, it, it literally starts to change you. You actually desire sin less. It's not as sexy. It's not as appealing. You desire sin less and you desire, like the new heart, you know, the new heart, it informs, it informs, you're like, and it, it informs you less and less by the flesh and more and more by the spirit. You actually want to be like Jesus. It's not, a, it's not an obligation. It's not a chore. Like, I want to be like him. There's nothing more beautiful. There's nothing more amazing. I want to be just like him. You want to be like Jesus. You actually want to please God. And you actually want to love other people. And you don't want to please God or love other people to get something from them. You're actually free to just love them. So, false disciple, genuine disciple. Friend, my question for you this morning is which one are you? Which one are you today? Not yesterday. Guys, God's grace. There's nothing better, but his grace is a gift. It's a gift. And it's for you. As much as you want it, it's for you. It's the well that won't run dry. God's grace is a gift, and it's a gift for you. So the real question is, will you receive the gift? your hope in something else. Will you stand if you're able to want to pray for us? I'm going to listen for just a bit and then I'm going to pray, okay? some of us in the room where our hope is in our reputation. That a lot of what we do is to secure the reputation for ourselves that we want. The way that we interact with people, the way that we use our time, the way that we spend our money is we want want a certain reputation. The things we post on social media, and I feel like, I really feel like the Spirit wants to free, if that's you, I feel like the Spirit wants to free you from that, like like do some immediate heart work, some immediate, like an immediate, like emergency surgery spiritually right now. So that's my prayer. My, my, my prayer for all of us, Lord, is that we would put our hope in the grace of God alone. Your grace in and through, like the person of Jesus in our place, his flesh and his blood, that's what we would run to. That's the only hope that we have. I pray that for all of us, Jesus, our hope would be in you and you alone. Would you, would you, would you lead us in this Holy Spirit? Convict us and bring freedom. Conviction and freedom, conviction and freedom, conviction and freedom as we run to your grace. And for my brothers and sisters who are putting their hope in your reputation, Spirit of God, I pray that that they would know that they're a child of God and that there's no greater reputation for eternity than being a beloved son or daughter to the King of the universe. And they can know it's true because Jesus said it's finished. 
he signed, his, he signed their adoption papers with his blood. Let the truth and the beauty of your gospel captivate our hearts, God. Let it draw us closer together and let it drive us to go out and tell the world with our, with our words and our actions that we've met this guy, Jesus, and he really is the only hope. And he's a well that won't run dry. I love you, God. Bless us in your holy name.